Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their Have you gotten Rommel yet? Welcome in to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined by Ryan Callahan and Patrick Brown on this Friday morning edition of the podcast. Sorry that this is our first podcast of the week that we're putting out. Uh, Patrick has had things going on with his kids. Ryan has had things going on with his kids. And I have had things going on with my kids. So it, it's been a it's been a hard week to, to put out a podcast, quite frankly. Kids have been home. Kids have been to the doctor. It's just been it's been a week for us here at, at Govals 24-7 uh, while Wes enjoys a couple of days off. Uh, so, uh, again, apologies that this is coming out on Friday. But, hey, better late than never. Tennessee is on in a very important bye week. Uh, they need to accomplish some things this week, and I'm sure that they did before they – set out on their vacation for the weekend, their long weekend off. Um, But before we get to that bye week and what we think Tennessee needed to accomplish this week, do want to touch on the South Carolina win uh, quickly because we have not really spoken since our post-game podcast. Uh, And Patrick, we will lead off with you since your Braves are about to win the World Series. What were your main takeaways from Tennessee's 41-20 to win over South Carolina? And I guess more so, how do you feel about Tennessee going into the bye week? How much more confidence did, did that win give you and Tennessee's ability to come out of the bye week? Uh, and they have three games really waiting on them on the other side of, of the bye week with A&M at home and then back-to-back trips to Alabama and Kentucky quite the three game stretch there how much more confidence did the win over south carolina give you that they can manage those upcoming three games well ben i, I think i left that game um the biggest takeaway to me was the play along the lines uh, lines of scrimmage uh the defensive line was awesome in that game and tennessee's defensive line is gonna have to be awesome the rest of the season they're gonna need you know they're not, they're not gonna get three sacks and however many hurries james pierce had every game um, but I, I, he wasn't the only guy that was making plays in that game. I mean, uh, Tyler Barron didn't have a lot of sacks, but he he was making plays. He was impactful. Uh, they got some good play, uh, you know, up the middle from Bryson Eason, Omar Norman Lott. 
Um, you know, Josh Joseph's popped up with the play, even though I don't think he played very many snaps. And um, they 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 just were flying around. They were really good. I think what a lot of people maybe overlooked is that they were pretty good in the back end too. I mean, there were a lot of times where you know they they executed their coverage calls and uh, whether it was man, whether it was zone. I think it was um, a really really a total team effort defensively and. Uh, offensively, I, I think it's become clear through five games that this is just going to be a different kind of offense from the last season. I know, obviously, uh, you know, they had Hendon Hooker, they had Jalen Hyatt. <clears throat> um, they don't have those guys this year. Uh, they, they're not going to have Brew McCoy moving forward. That was obviously a, an unfortunate situation. And we, I'll speak for you guys here and say that we wish Brew well and hope he gets back uh, uh, better than ever when, when he's able to finally play again. Um, but uh, it, it's almost, it almost kind of, confirmed the identity that this team needs to have moving forward and that's to be a team that they're going to have to be able to run the ball on teams and they're going to have to really be disruptive up front uh, I do think this defense overall has improved um, and, and I, I think the offensive line I think was the other big takeaway that they got Cooper Mays back uh, they really put out what we thought going into the season might be their best five which had Gerald Mincy at, left, at right tackle and Ollie Lane at left guard some different circumstances may have brought that group together but uh, I don't know. We'll have to see if Andre Kark and, and Jeremiah Crawford are available in the AM game, but I don't know how you come out of the game against South Carolina and say that five isn't our five moving forward. So uh, it, it was a good win, a good response. Um, Tennessee continues to play really well at home, um, and, and obviously they're going to need to uh, to be good at home again because they've got a couple of big home games with Texas A&M coming out of this, this open date and then down the road against Georgia. So um, they're going to have to continue to be good at home and, and then, you know, they'll have to figure some things out on the road when they go on the road. But uh, it was definitely a better alternative than than losing uh, in Tennessee. I thought played really well for the most part, not perfect, um, but certainly good enough to win. And um, I, I, you know, you win an SEC game by three touchdowns. You, you shouldn't have too much to complain about. It feels like a team that, that to me, I mean, like, like you said, they, they played a lot better on the line, a lot of scrimmage on offense and then uh, defensively, you know, continued what they had done uh, early in the season. So it, it definitely seems like a team that's, uh, that has a nice foundation. When you're playing well at the line of scrimmage, you've got a chance to be good. Um, so that's a, that's a very good start. I think this team's getting better uh, at the linebacker position where, where the first couple of weeks without uh, Keenan Peely seemed a little a little bit rough around the edges. It seems like they're getting a little bit better at that spot, and and they uh, they mostly did a good job uh, against the run because of that. So um, so overall, I think you know there there are reasons for optimism. You know, at the same time, the the Brew McCoy injury obviously leads to some concerns going forward. You know, how do they replace him? Who actually steps forward, and and who who can can make the kinds of plays he he made on a on a pretty consistent basis, and can give them a lot of the things he did. Uh, and, and not have you know any sort of drop off there. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, but the you know the overall takeaway for me is we're we're a month into the season and I I still don't know how good this team is. <laughs> it's weird to say that, but they played two SEC games. I know they're better than South Carolina. I, I think they would be better than Florida if they played on a neutral field again. But they obviously peed down their leg at the swamp and and lost that game and uh, did did not play well. So. You know they're 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 a flawed team. They're they're not anywhere close to perfect, but I think they're they're still a good team and a, and a pretty flawed SEC. You know, still might be kind of toward the top of the league. So we'll see a lot more in the coming weeks. I think you know just how they they stack up. Obviously, starting with Texas A and M, but it looks like a team that to me is flawed. Probably going to lose at least a couple more games along the way, but 
but still look, you know, looked good last week. And, and even with two interceptions from Joe Milton took care of business against the South Carolina team that was an obvious sort of measuring stick for where this, this team and this program are and need to be. And they, they got it done in a game that they obviously really wanted. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Ryan. I, I agree with you. I, I don't know how good this football team is. I don't, I don't think they're a bad football team. I think the question is, are they maybe above average or are they a good team? I don't know that they're a great team. That's why I say I think the question is more, are they slightly above average or are they a good football team? And and I think the Texas A&M game will be very telling because my biggest takeaway coming out of the South Carolina game was that Tennessee is legitimate up front defensively. That That's the, the defensive front that I thought was going to show up uh, against Florida. And sidebar, I think as the season progresses and, and we get closer to the end of the season, I, I think... Uh, that that Florida loss is only going to continue to look worse and worse and just irritate the mess out of fans when, when they look back upon that football game. Uh, Tennessee's better than Florida. It, it did not look like it on that night in the swamp, um, but I, I, I think maybe that had more to do with the swamp than the actual football team that that Florida is putting on the field this season. That That's not a good football team. It, it's just not. At least it's not on the road. Uh, we, we've seen them play at Utah and at Kentucky now, and they've peed down their leg both times. Florida has. So maybe it's just a simple fact of them being that, on that the seems, road. That seems to be a, a SEC-wide thing. Uh, I don't know what SEC home, you know, what, what and even in the first couple weeks of conference play, it seems like home teams are just about undefeated. But uh, if you take Vanderbilt out of the equation, which that, <laughs> no, that's not a real road game for anybody anyway. <laughs> I mean, I can't think of, well, I mean, Alabama won at Mississippi State. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Right? Am I missing somebody there? No, not not that I can think of either. Um, I mean, even Georgia going down and, and struggling at Auburn the, this past weekend, I think that had a lot to do with the home environment. I also don't think Georgia is as good as they've been the past couple of years, which is why this Kentucky-Georgia uh, game is very, very interesting this weekend. Uh, but going back to my original point, I was very surprised coming out of that Florida game how the defensive front got pushed around in that first half. I thought they they were more of what they showed in the second half, and that translated to the South Carolina game. So uh, going up against A&M here in a couple of weeks, I, I said a moment ago that I think that that game will be very telling for how the rest of the season will go uh, because if if that can translate what Tennessee did to South Carolina in the trenches on both sides of the football offensively and defensively if that can translate against Texas A&M which their offensive line hasn't been what the defensive front has been their their defensive front is probably the best in the SEC I mean they have freak at the freak at the freak at the freak that just annihilate the the line of scrimmage uh, and it's so many different guys up front if Tennessee's offensive line can hold up against that front then I think that is a great sign of things to come. And the AM offensive line, again, hasn't been as good as the defensive line, but it's still pretty solid. It has its moments where, where it shoots itself in the foot, but it's mostly good. So uh, if you can play that way against the AM offensive line as well, then, then I think that bodes well against Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia, games where you are really going to have to win at the line of scrimmage in order to win those football games. So, uh, that that that's kind of where I'm at coming out of the South Carolina game. Uh, looking at the receiver position now, Patrick, with, with Brew being out, what do you think the solution is there? Because I, I think the obvious solution is getting Dante Thornton Jr. going, 
but is he somebody that you can slide to the outside, the perimeter, and try and fill the shoes of Brew McCoy that way? Or is he somebody that's only going to play in the slot? I, I don't know that you can move him around as, as easily. Jason Swain has made this point this week that Dante is right now where Jalen Hyatt was before Jalen Hyatt's Bolitnikoff season in the sense of when he's on the perimeter, he's just stiff in his routes and not really a great route runner just yet, which doesn't necessarily bode well for him potentially playing on the perimeter, which if that's the case, then you're going to have to rely on Caleb Webb and Chaz Nimrod to play opposite of Ramel Keaton. Well, I'm not going to profess to know more about playing wide receiver than Jason Swain, but I would tend to agree with him. Um, And people look at Dante and uh, I don't want to say he's gotten a bad rap, but he was just talked up so much all offseason and he hasn't really delivered on it. And it's kind of hard to put a finger on why I haven't heard anybody that's like said anything really that bad about his attitude or how much he's working. Um, But for whatever reason, just hasn't clicked. He's been dealing with the hamstring over the past, you know, that popped up last week. That's, uh, I think that's what slowed him in the spring too. Um, and so he's just still, you know, kind of figuring out it, it, as, as you alluded to what Swain said, it, it, it takes a little bit. And, and the coaches have said this too, that it, it takes time to play, get you get comfortable playing in this offense. I know he's six, five and two fourteen has great speed, but he's, he's never really struck me as a, a guy you're going to sit on the outside and say, get off press all game. That that's not, that's why they brought him in to play him in the slot um, because they didn't, they they didn't think that was the best way to use him. And um, that's why I don't think he's really worked too much at the slot. So I think Caleb Webb's probably going to be the guy that, that gets the first look there. Um, and, and they're going to need both him and, and Chaz Nimrod to uh, step up. I mean, it, it's a, it's an interesting situation. Those guys, I think have five combat, uh, career catches between them. Uh, Nimrod's first one game last week. Um, so it, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't want to put it past this this staff and, and Kelsey Pope and those players to, for them to figure out a way. Um, but I don't I don't know that it's going to be as seamless as maybe Ramel Keaton made it look last season. And uh, I, I think that they honestly might have to lean more on Squirrel White and Ramel Keaton. And, and Ben, I think I made a comment to you during the South Carolina game in the second half. It was like, where is Ramel Keaton? He had like kind of disappeared uh, and been on the fringes of that game. I think he made a catch uh, early in the drive that that they went down and scored on to put your lead back to 21 in the fourth quarter. And it was like, I mean, when, when Cedric Tillman went down last season, Keaton stepped in and was able to keep it kind of seamless, but you saw the other two guys step up. I mean, Brew McCoy had two 100 yard games in the first two games that Cedric was out. And then Jalen Hyatt went off and won the Blitnikoff. So as much as they're going to need the Caleb Webbs and Nimrods of the world and Dante Thornton's to, uh, to to step up and elevate their game, they're going to need those other two guys. The other two starters are going to have to be, uh, they're going to have to become guys. So um, that that's the big question. I know everyone wants to know about D Williams. I think we'll see him on offense. I don't think it's going to be like they're going to throw him out there and he's going to play twenty snaps at wide receiver. That's just not realistic. Uh, I think it's probably more of a a package or a, a drive starter kind of thing, uh, where maybe you you just throw him the ball on a screen or use it use a jet sweep. Maybe use him as a decoy, but. Uh, certainly they will, uh, if they're going to go that route, that's not going to be, and, and Josh, I was alluded to this. I think he said this Monday at the, uh, quarterback club where it's like, it's, it's hard to get, you know, it's hard to learn our offense at receiver. And certainly we've seen that be the case with Jalen Hyatt, with Thornton and, and probably Nathan Leacock too, is a guy we haven't mentioned because he, he hasn't played. I, I wouldn't look for him to make a huge jump and become a factor all of a sudden. Uh, but I do think they have to maybe push him along a little bit more just because they don't have a lot of numbers. So, 
Um, I'll be interested to see how they tweak it. They might get the tight ends more involved. Um, you know, we saw Jacob Warren a little involved a little bit more in the past game. He's a big guy, kind of like Brew. Brew was a big target. Um, Jacob Warren's a big target that I've always thought was a, a a guy that had a potential to help you in the passing game. And I thought he he made some plays uh, in the second half, right? I think of, of the South Carolina game. So uh, I think they're going to lean on those young guys. Josh Heupel has continued to sort of build those guys up publicly, and uh, they're just going to need those guys to step up and. You know that they've they've pushed those guys all off season. You know they've had Ramel Keaton to lean on. You know it's easy for Ramel to say, "Look what happened last year. You got to be that guy this year." Uh, and, and lo and behold, here they are. Yeah, Patrick, I think you made the best point with you know they 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 need those other two starters to to be guys. I think the third the third guy needs to to be somebody they can count on, obviously. And so that means they need Dante Thornton to to finally settle in, take things to another level from what we've seen so far, or they need. Caleb Webb or Chaz Nimrod to 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 sort of pick up the slack there if, if Thornton can't do it. Um, but they've they've got to have Ramel Keaton play at a level that we've not seen so far this year. I think, you know, I, I kind of thought he might be ready to 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 take things to another another level this year. So far, the results have just been okay. Um and then Squirrel White, you know, I think he obviously showed last week what he's what he's capable of doing and and made a just ridiculous catch um that still should have drawn a flag. I have no idea why some people have thrown out that 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 was just because he caught the ball well that can't enter an official's thought process so so just just throw the flag but but it should have dropped you've not watched a lot of nba where they they won't call a a foul until the guy misses a shot well here's the problem what if you go back (laughs) that's what that was but what if you go back and review the play and you find that he was out of bounds or something? I mean, someone brought that up to me and it's a great point like what what happens if you let that one go and then oh wait there's no flag to to, to sort of be the safety net there but anyway that was a that was a side note but uh still a ridiculous catch and and he he really stepped up his game against South Carolina if he can do that on a regular basis if if Ramel Keaton can be the Ramel Keaton consistently that we saw at times last year they'll probably be okay um but I think this only uh adds to a problem that I think they had kind of already had which is what you get out of the wide receiver position from this team seems to be a week to week thing and if that if that remains the case, you know, if if they don't get more consistent play out of Ramel Keaton, if if Dante Thornton doesn't uh, emerge as the guy that they thought this offseason he might be, that, then it's going to be a problem in at least one game, maybe a couple games that Tennessee really needs to win the rest of the way. So uh, I, I think it's a it's a huge question mark. And now it it's a it's a precarious situation too because you know we've seen this before with other positions uh, that where Tennessee's had limited depth. Injuries tend to find you where you can least afford them. That obviously happened with Cooper Mays for Tennessee in in preseason camp, uh, and and now it, it happens at wide receiver where you know they've only got what seven uh, scholarship guys that are really in the mix, and and now down to six. So it's really not a not a loaded group there, and and it looks like uh, a situation where another injury could really set them back and and make that a pretty pretty scary situation. And, and like you said, D Williams maybe can help with that, give you at least some some additional numbers there, but. Not very realistic to expect him to be an every down sort of player, and I, I think you know with the tempo they play, especially you mentioned drive starter. I, I wondered about red zone or at the start of a drive, you know, as, as kind of the only chance to get him in the game if you're if you're trying to to just get something going because you you don't want him out there for five or six plays at a time probably. So um, that's I'll be interested in seeing if they can drum up anything that might allow him to to make his skill set useful. But that's obviously a interesting storyline to to watch coming out of the open date is what they can get if anything uh, out of D Williams in this offense. The good news is that with the way Tennessee is running the football and the way Tennessee's defensive front is playing, 
you don't have to have the receivers play the way that they have the past two years. That, that you just need them to be able to make the plays when their number is called. You, you don't have to lean on them the way that you had to lean on Valus Jones Jr. at one point in year one or Cedric Tillman and, and Jalen Hyatt in, in year two. You, you can lean on this running game, which will also take pressure off of the receivers and, and off of Joe. Uh, and then you can also you, – you're not having to score as many points as, as maybe you've had to in the past if this defense is what we saw against South Carolina, which that still is a question mark for sure. Uh, Patrick, I, I do think – Figuring out the plan at receiver moving forward was one of the top things on the to-do list over the bye week. I, I think the other thing was simply get healthy and, and allow guys to to get some rest and, and um, be as healthy as possible going into this Texas A&M game because th- this is going to be a real physical football game. And, and not to harp on the three-game stretch coming up, but uh, three similar playing styles coming up in terms of the emphasis on physicality within the three football programs that are on the schedule next, Alabama, Kentucky, A&M, they're all very, very physical matchups for Tennessee. And the bye week truly comes at a perfect time for Tennessee this year. I know we kind of talk about when would an ideal bye week be from year to year. Josh Heupel said it postgame on, on Saturday night that the bye week truly comes at the perfect time for Tennessee this year because they have to get healthy going into this three-week stretch that is going to be a lot physically. Yeah, I don't know that there's ever been an open date or bye week for you people that want to be wrong and call it a bye week. I don't, I don't know that any of those have ever come at a bad time. I've never heard a coach say that. Um, it's kind of one of those things where it's like every offseason, the team has had their best offseason. It's kind of one of those things. Um, but I do, I do think, to your point, Ben, uh, Tennessee is, I think they were kind of beat up early month of the season. Um, and so an extra week off, a, a chance for some guys to get off their feet um, and, and not even just benefit from not having a game, but they get to kind of maybe, you know, a lot of guys get to go home and see their families. And it's a chance to just kind of all right, take a deep breath, not think about football for maybe 24 hours and then, you know, kind of come back Sunday night and, 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 and be ready to get after it. So, um, you know, you look at a guy like Cooper Mays, who was, you know, uh, he he played all but what, like four snaps against South Carolina. I think he was clearly cast in the second half. This is a chance for him to continue to heal and, and maybe build up his conditioning. Joe Milton's a guy that I, I think he was very clearly not 100 percent in that South Carolina. Game. I don't know. Uh, he was very unwilling to run, even probably more unwilling to run than uh, maybe he is normally. And, and you could tell that he was not as fluid mobile, you know, uh, when he was on the move. So a uh, chance for him to get that knee better. Danico Slaughter came back, chance for him to continue to get better. Elijah Simmons came back in the last game. So um, I'm sure there's some other guys I mentioned. So it's a chance for those guys to kind of get healthy. It's also a chance for some young guys. You know, the the two positions I'm thinking of are obviously wide receiver where, you know, they need to push those young guys, Webb, Nimrod, uh, Nathan Leacock as well. Even though he hasn't played, I, I doubt him. You know, I doubt I, we see him become a huge factor. Um, seems like he's still maybe a little bit of ways away, but also at linebacker too, because they're playing a lot of young guys right there right now. Um, pretty much all young guys except Aaron Beasley. So, you know, and, and Brian Jean-Marie is stuck to his guns and has played a rotation. We saw uh, Aaron Carter, Jeremiah Thielen, and Caleb Perry playing, you know, behind the starters in the South Carolina game. So continue to push those guys into those roles, help those guys um, kind of assess what they've done well, where they need to work on and, and get a couple extra practices where they're not really focusing on a game plan or on another team or, or scheme. So, 
Uh, I think those are, are big things for for Tennessee to get accomplished this week. They had two practices on Wednesday and Thursday, and now players have a little bit of downtime. And obviously, uh, as Ryan put out uh, on Thursday night, the coaching staff is literally all over the place. Um, it seems like they're hitting every high school in the country, uh, Ryan. So uh, it's a busy week for them, but maybe a time for the players to get a little bit more of uh, uh, off their feet and, and get a chance to relax during a, 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 you know, they don't get a whole lot of chances to relax at this time of year. So this is a chance for them to do that a little bit. Ryan, yeah, we, they, we we can touch on the recruiting on, on the tail end of this podcast. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on this before we catch a break and, and come back and answer some, some mailbag questions. This three-game gauntlet that I keep referencing coming up, what would you gauge a two-and-one there through that three-game stretch? If, if they go two-and-one in this three-game stretch, how, how successful would you view that in terms of a a, a three game stretch, because obviously, if if you want to win the SEC East, you you probably have to go three and zero, since you've already lost to Florida, and nobody ever wants to to listen to to a loss, right? Uh, in in terms of trying to gauge something being successful, uh, what what would your thoughts be, Ryan, if Tennessee is able to make it through this upcoming three game stretch, two and one? Uh, I think that would be very successful, uh, given where Tennessee is right now and, and just sort of how those three teams are looking as we speak. Uh, now, as with a lot of things, especially when you talk about preseason predictions for records and things like that, it always depends on how it looks once you see it happen. Um, so if Tennessee gets through the first couple games and then loses to Kentucky and between now and then Kentucky doesn't look as good as they did last week against Florida, <laughs> that could be viewed very differently. Um, but Looking at it on the front end, just what we know right now, I, I think getting two wins out of these these next three or you know, that that's I, I maybe wouldn't say best case scenario, but that'd be pretty close to the best case scenario. I, I mean, obviously there's a there's a path to Tennessee winning all three. I just don't know how likely it is to work out that way. Um, it, it seems like a situation where, especially going on the road for two of these games, uh, if you if you take two out of three, that's a that's a, a pretty good stretch and. You know, sure, the SEC East is out there. I, I don't want to say that's an unattainable goal because it's clearly within reach if Tennessee can take care of business with a a an at least manageable schedule. Um, but this, you know, kind of touching on our earlier point, I I think this just feels like a a, a team with maybe a little bit more of a ceiling than last year's team had. Uh, that that's going to be harder harder to break through, and and we'll see if they you know maybe they can can change some things and, and be a little more consistent uh, or just lean heavily on this running game and get it to carry them further than we're, than we're envisioning now, maybe, but it feels like a stretch where Tennessee is probably going to slip up somewhere along the way. And, and obviously Alabama is the first place. A lot of people would look, I, I would probably be among that, uh, that group that sees Alabama as a tough game to win on the road, the way Alabama's playing defensively, not so much offensively, um, that there's still going to be a tough, that's a tough game for Tennessee to win. So I still think they'll slip up somewhere in this stretch. And so two and one, I would say, if you're a Tennessee fan, I'd, I'd say you should take that right now if someone offered it to you. But I understand that those are all three on some level. You know, they're they're pretty winnable games. Alabama's not. This is an Alabama of three years ago. This is a pretty pretty human Alabama team. So not saying they can't win all three. I just I just think the way Tennessee's playing right now, sort of the makeup of this team, they look like they're they're likely to slip up somewhere. So I think two and one would be really uh, really good stretch. Patrick, your thoughts on on this upcoming three game stretch? I, I do wonder. How many Tennessee fans w- would take a, a one and two if that one win was was <laughs> over Alabama? I, I realize that one of those two losses would technically be to Kentucky, and and that would be quite the sour taste for for Tennessee fans. But 
Well, would Tennessee fans be willing to trade one and two if it meant a win over Alabama in Tuscaloosa? I think yes. I think a lot of them would. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. Um, uh, I think two and one would be uh, if you're if you were offered two and one for Tennessee right now, I think you would take it um, because it's, it's three tough games now. Uh, I, I'm not totally sold on Kentucky. I think the bigger it would be a bigger story if Kentucky wasn't five and zero right now because they played two max schools, their annual FCS game. They played at Vanderbilt and they played Florida at home. Who wouldn't be five and zero with that that schedule? Um, let's just be honest. Uh, Missouri is five and zero. I'm not buying Missouri yet. I think they're going to get. I think they're going to lose to LSU this weekend. I think Kentucky will lose to Georgia, but uh, I think Kentucky is is just they're more established as a program. You know what you're going to get with the Wildcats. So, um, to, to I, I was I'm going through this morning and, and getting a the uh, the annual stat pack ready. It's a something we do every every season where we just take a bunch of stat categories and say, this is what Tennessee ranks in them in the sec and the FBS. And uh, something I do to put, add context to it is what, you know, compare it to last year. And uh, as I was going through that this morning, I was like, that team last year was really freaking good. <laughs> you know, they were really good in a lot of important areas. And, and this team is uh, there are some things that have really switched, like the, the big plays from offensive defense, those things have almost flipped. I mean, Tennessee is like, I think last in the sec and explosive pass plays of 20 plus yards is pretty, uh, pretty remarkable given what they did last season. So, um, this is a different year. It's a different team. Uh, and so it kind of, they kind of, there's an eight and four kind of vibe to this team, but I also look at the league and I'm like, this league doesn't look as like dangerous or as good as it normally is. So, uh, you could probably sell me on Tennessee winning its home games, including Georgia, uh, and losing its road games. So that's a path eight and four. More than likely, they probably split Missouri and Kentucky on the road and lose to Georgia at home. But who knows? Georgia didn't look great on the road against Auburn. So, um, and, and to my point earlier, I think, I think there's only eight, I think there's only eight SEC team. Or let me phrase this. The SEC has eight road wins this season. Two of them are against Vanderbilt. Two of them are against Mississippi State. One of them is against South Florida. Shout out Alex Golish. They're three and two. Uh, where are the other ones? At California, shout out Auburn. Um, and L- yeah, two of them are Mississippi State, and then um, yeah, so that and then Tulane was another one. So, uh, yeah, this, this home field advantage is making a huge difference in the league this season. We'll see if that continues, but uh, this team feels like an eight and fourteen. But if they were to go two and one, uh, then maybe you have a shot to keep the SEC East hopes alive going into November, and maybe a shot at maybe nine or ten wins, depending on uh, what kind of play you get in the last month of the season. Ryan, I, I lied. I mentioned we, we'll hold off recruiting till the end of the podcast. We're actually going to hold off until the end of this first segment. So if you don't mind informing the good people uh, what you know about kind of where Tennessee's coaches are are out and about th- this weekend, because as Patrick and you mentioned, it's a huge recruiting weekend for Tennessee, even if they're not hosting a game this weekend. Yeah, that's right. Uh, really, a, a, almost everywhere, as Patrick kind of said earlier, there are a lot of places this week. Uh, the The one maybe interesting note is really not in state uh, anywhere. It's all outside the state. And that, that kind of makes sense. You're, you're taking advantage of the opportunity to go out farther away from home uh, than what you can do on Friday nights before a game. Uh, this is the chance to go to places like California, which they are doing. Um, you know, they got a lot of guys uh, that have been in, or a few guys that are, are going to be in Georgia, uh, you know, the Carolinas. So they're, they're still nearby, but also going out West, um, so, so you've got Alec Ablin, the tight ends coach out in Utah to see um, four-star tight end Roger Saliaponga and out in California checking on uh, a tight end that they uh, 
that they might offer uh, if they if they like what they see going to to his game to see Cole Harrison, uh, a class of 2024 tight end. So that one's worth keeping an eye on there to see if Tennessee decides to offer him as they continue to look for a second tight end in the 2024 class. Um, checking on a lot of commitments, seeing guys play uh, in person while they have the chance. So Kelsey Pope will be at four-star wide receiver Braylon Staley's game Friday night down in South Carolina, coming off his offer from South Carolina on Wednesday. Uh, I know there's been a lot of discussion of that one. Still sounds to me like on this end anyway that that Tennessee is likely to be okay there despite the South Carolina offer. Seems like South Carolina you know, maybe could have been more of a threat if they had offered early, but don't know that they're going to shake things up enough to, to really cause Tennessee uh, any serious concern. South Carolina seems to have some optimism on their end, so so we'll see. There are often different reads on different sides of these things, but doesn't seem like a situation to me where uh, a flip is a major concern at this point. Uh, and then you know you got some some visits to check on twenty twenty five guys uh, as well. Uh, Jerry Mack, for instance, over in Charlotte on Friday night to see David Sanders, the offensive tackle, who's the number one overall player in the twenty twenty five class in twenty four seven sports rankings. He attended a, a camp at Tennessee back in June and is, has been planning to go to the Tennessee-Georgia game next month. So um, Tennessee certainly throwing his hat, throwing its hat in the ring there, uh, checking on the junior college defensive linemen uh, that they offered just a couple weeks ago, all three of those guys uh, getting a visit from Tim Banks. So uh, they're in a number of different places, and uh, we've got the full story with all the details on Go Vols 24-7. It's a, it's a ton of stops, a ton of names uh, mentioned, including some some flip targets that they're still kind of at least checking into to see see what possibilities are out there going into the final uh, two plus months leading up to early signing day. You know, some of these visits are just probably to kind of kick the tires and see if there's any possibility there. But uh, in some cases, there might be a little more to them. So uh, it's, it's definitely some interesting stops uh, among Tennessee's travels this week. And uh, yeah, a lot. Every coach on the staff, in some capacity, on the road, either Thursday or Friday, and most of them have been on the road both days, including Josh Heupel, who will see uh, Jake Merklinger play Friday night. And as Ryan just mentioned, we have full coverage of where all the coaches are going up on Go Balls 24-7 right now. And Ryan will certainly have coverage of the fallout of these visits coming up over the weekend and, and through in, into next week, leading into another big recruiting weekend against Texas A&M. Uh, it's an open week, as Patrick likes to say, but we still have plenty of content up at the site. All the football, recruiting, basketball baseball coverage you need it's all up at govals247.com even have some lady vols stuff up from maria uh, so plenty of things going on in the month of october every major sport is in action on campus truly football both basketball programs baseball and even technically softball is is having it's it's fall exhibition matchups this this weekend as well so uh, no off week uh, for, for Go Vols 24-7 here. Uh, and we still have plenty to discuss here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Now we're going to get into the mailbag portion, what everybody has truly been waiting for. And we will do so after this break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back into the Go Vols. 24-7 podcast. I'm Ben McKee, joined by Patrick Brown and Ryan Callahan on this Friday, October 6th edition of the podcast. We thank you for tuning in and listening to us. Uh, plenty to discuss, as we were just mentioning before the break. And uh, now we're going to get to our podcast or our mailbag portion of the podcast. Uh, but first, if you don't mind taking a moment out of your day to go like, rate, and review the podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. That helps us a great deal. And as Wes always points out, make sure you tell somebody about the podcast. Just one person, a text. If you see somebody wearing a tea, a power tea in person, let them know about the GoVols 24-7 podcast. Uh, we've been receiving a lot of tweets about fans that listen to the podcast, telling other Tennessee fans about the podcast, and, and it spreading in that way. And, and we greatly appreciate those who are doing that. Patrick, we'll let you kick it off here on the mailbag portion of the pod. Um, This is from Kyle Matheny. He asks, if James Pierce and Josh Josephs have been an exciting prospect for a while, and I think they have the ability to reach the level of Shane Ray and Marcus Golden as a pair, who has a higher ceiling as a duo, Pierce and Josephs, or Shandavian Bradley, and Caleb Herring. That that is a fascinating question. I think it a speaks to where Tennessee is at at the Leo position, uh, at the edge rusher uh, position, and obviously Ryan can can chime in as well because he covered these guys in recruiting. But it's a fascinating question. I'm I'm interested to see where y'all go. Are y'all taking the duo of a higher ceiling with James Pierce and Josh Josephs, or Shandavion Bradley and Caleb Herring? Uh, I'm going to go with Pierce and Joseph mostly because of Pierce. Uh, now, that's not to say that I'm down on the potential of the other two. Uh, Caleb Herring and, and Shadavian Bradley are um, two prototypical edge guys. We've seen Herring get in a little bit, and, and he had a sack against UTSA. I think he's going to be a good player. I think the staff likes him too, but uh, I got to go right now with what I've seen. And, and five games from James Pierce, I think he's been he's made a huge, huge jump. I don't I don't know that we'll see any of those guys make a, a one year jump like that. I mean, this guy is playing, uh, he, he's not just like getting by on being a, a, a superior athlete. Um, he, he's doing a lot of things that, um, you don't really see a lot from, from guys that haven't played like him. I mean, this is a guy that played what 60 something snaps on defense last season. Now he's playing high pressure leverage situations. So, um, he's doing a good job of, uh, he doesn't, he's not just a speed guy around the edge and, you know, he's not just doing that. He's, he's working inside moves. He's using his hands really well. Um, and I think he's starting to maybe understand how, you know, he's getting set from, from offensive tackles. So, um, I, I, I'm going to go with Pierce and Joseph as the duo with the most potential. Uh, I bet Ryan disagrees with me because that's what Ryan Callahan does. Um, 
but I just I, I think that see their ceiling is higher because I think Pierce is is the best is going to end up as the best of those four. I'm shaking my head at you, Patrick. Um, well, I can't I actually, see you on the Zoom, so I don't actually yeah, know that you're shaking your head. That that's true. I'll just have to take well, your word for it. Well, now I'm never mind. Uh, but uh, so I actually agree with you completely. Um, I, I I I would go with James Pierce and and Joshua Joseph as the uh, as as the higher ceiling uh, pair. Um, I. I I feel like Joseph's in a way and Bradley to a greater extent are more wild cards right now. So I would give maybe Joseph's the edge over Bradley in, in that regard. Uh, and, and I would just give Pierce the slight edge, you know, if I was kind of breaking him down head to head over Caleb Herring right now, just because he's showing to me that he's got a chance to be a future first round pick if he lives up to what he's doing now and, and keeps his head on straight. You know, I, I think he is, he is maybe the most talented edge rusher they've had at, at Tennessee. And I mean, I, I don't know. It's I, at least Daryl Taylor. Well, at least, but I, I mean, I would say at least since Derek Barnett uh, and, and, and he's not Derek Barnett really either. They're different players. So it's hard to compare them, but they do play, you know, in a lot of ways, the same position. So, uh, so I, that's, I guess that's how far back I would go. And that was a first round pick. So I think he's uh, to your point, I think he's Daryl Taylor, but a little bit better, you know, I think he's just, um, and, and, I'm not surprised by what we're seeing from James Pierce either. I uh, I think not enough people were talking about him as a prospect, and, and some of that was because um, there were some there were some academic concerns there for a while. Part of you know his recruitment sort of flew under the radar at the school he was at, didn't get a ton of visibility in Charlotte. Um, but his senior year film, if you watched it, man, he was doing a lot of this same stuff. He just has such a quick first step. One of the best uh, one of the best first steps that I've seen from uh, from a Tennessee signee. In a long, long time, uh, and so I knew if he reached his potential, he had a chance to be as special as as what we're seeing now. Uh, th- this isn't a fluke. I mean, he's he's this good, so he's just got to keep his head keep his head on straight and and keep doing what he's doing and building off this. If he can do that, I, I think he's got a really high ceiling in, in terms of where he could be drafted. And and Caleb Herring to me has a chance to be really good too. I just don't know how high his ceiling is because we just haven't seen enough of it. So since there's a little more unknown there. I'd go with what we know right now, which is James Pierce is really good, and Joshua Joseph has even shown flashes of having that kind of, at least an NFL kind of potential. You know, on what level still remains to be seen, but he's really good too. I agree with the both of you. I'm rolling with James Pierce and Josh Joseph just because we know that James Pierce is on a fast track to be a a high draft pick. I don't know if that's first round. Even second round or third round pick would be impressive, but hard not to envision him being a first round or even a second round pick at this point. I certainly don't think he'll be here after next season. <laughs> I think that is uh, certainly safe to say uh, as of right now. Uh, Ryan, this is from Vols fan eleven zero four. Will Go Vols twenty four seven be having a special promo on the site to celebrate Tennessee Super Bowl win? <laughs> you know we should we should have done that with our brief promo this week yeah we should have we should have yeah we definitely should have uh sold it that, that way that was a that was a, a missed opportunity on our part we, we did have a three-day sale that that ended thursday but uh yeah that's a that's a good thought um we should have had some some super bowl champions gear to hand out and everything yeah people people have had a lot of fun with that uh including uh i'll, I'll give uh i'll give everybody's favorite tennessee troll uh, a, a little shout out. Uh, Richard G. West on Twitter had a pretty good one that apparently got some South Carolina fans and maybe even a media outlet, from what I understand, um, convincing people that there was going to be a Super Bowl celebration parade on Saturday in place of the open date. 
And uh, I think some some radio show or somebody apparently might have run with it for a minute before realizing it was a hoax. But um, but yeah, that's that's been a pretty fun one this week. And uh, unfortunately, we did not bill our sale this week as a Super Bowl sale. I give I give Richard a hard time, whoever he is. Um, but that was a good one. That one and the and the Danny White has ordered new goalposts before the Alabama game. Those are the those are the best troll jobs. Uh, on a serious note from Vols fan 1104, he asks, with our three very good running backs, why doesn't Coach Heupel ever want to put two of them out on offense at the same time? I can't seem to remember many times our offense has ever lined up two running backs in the backfield and think it would be a, a way to work around the brew injury while also helping satisfy all the running backs wanting touches. Well, it goes back to tempo, and it's the same reason why they don't really rotate receivers and why their rotations in general are limited on offense because uh, if you start a drive with two running backs on the field, how long before, I mean, are you going to go a whole drive, a six, seven-play drive with two running backs on the field? That's a situational thing that uh, you might see to start a drive or come out of a timeout. But, uh, again, if if you put two running backs on the field and you pick up a couple first downs, at some point, you're want to you're going to want to get back to more of a, a base set, and then you're going to have to sub. And if you sub, the other team can sub. And so much of this offense is on 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 tempo and making you know those defensive linemen stay out there for uh, six, seven, eight snaps on a drive. So that that's that's the reason it goes back to me. Or that's the reason that you know a lot of these questions of why don't we see this, why don't we see that on offense? It's tempo. It's because they don't want to sub, and that's just that's just how the system is, and that's just kind of what it's going to be. Yeah, I, I, this is. I feel like this is an over-discussed topic a lot of a lot of times on any team where there's two good backs. We heard this when Alvin Kamara and Jalen Hurd were on the same team. I've heard it for years. With you know, well, they should have gotten those guys on the field by putting Hurd at receiver and Kamara at running back. But that's another story. Apparently, yeah. Um, but uh, but Hurd thought he was an I formation back at the time, basically, and uh, that wasn't going to happen. So, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've heard this with the Titans this year. Now, you know, now that Ty J Spears is playing well, why not get them both on the field at the same time? It just it, it's probably overplayed. And to your point, Patrick, I think the answer is always the same. It's because that's not what the team's offense calls for. It's not what the team's offense does on a regular basis. Is it something you could mix in some situationally, especially say in the goal line or or a, or a short yard situation? Absolutely, I think you could you could see that on a on a play to play basis, maybe uh, here and there, but not for any kind of a uh, long stretch. So I, w- I don't think they'd want to start a drive with that kind of personnel out there. I did wonder about that, Patrick, is certainly not a solution to the wide receiver problem, but, uh, but as another way to kind of uh, address that, that position, you know, we've seen them line up running backs out on the perimeter here and there. Could we maybe see that a little bit more uh, for, for, you know, screen passes and things like that, or just a, just a wrinkle to kind of, you know, get them through a series with only with only two receivers out there. Do you think we ever see that or, or not? Well, really? they, they've used the running backs more in the passing game this season than they did last season. Um, and, and part of that is, you know, they're using a lot of the quick perimeter game. And, you know, a, a way to just sort of change that up is to run a receiver or run a, wide, a run a running back out there in motion and throw it to him. Or, you know, sometimes we've seen them in in the. Uh, in the middle of tempo, a running back just goes and lines up in the slot. So the, uh, you could see more of that. Uh, I think all three of these guys are, are pretty good catching the football, Jalen Ride and, and Dylan Sampson in particular. So um, I think that's an avenue. And uh, the Titans should be playing Derrick Henry at quarterback and then put Spears at running back because Derrick yeah. Henry's be- the, probably the best quarterback on their roster, if we're being honest. <laughs> well, it, it would also help Ryan Tannehill if the offensive line wasn't one of the worst offensive lines uh, in the entire mm-hmm. NFL. Mm-hmm. A lifetime Bama hater 
wants to know if there's any word on who Tennessee's three dedicated opponents will be in in the future. Uh, if not, what is our prediction and what is the expected timetable that it will be announced? I I would expect for that to be announced sometime next summer or this upcoming offseason. Uh, there, there's no official word yet. Uh, Ryan, if you had to guess, who, who do you think Tennessee's three permanent uh, opponents will be going forward? Man, I, I, I don't know, and I, I still don't know the end. I mean, uh, we're assuming there are going to be three. Uh, I hope that's the case. Uh, I, I don't know that there will be yet. I, I think there's still enough pushback on the idea of going to a nine-game schedule that, you know, I, I don't know that the the long, at least the the short term or what whatever future solution might be sticking with an eight-game schedule and maybe one permanent opponent uh, for for the foreseeable future. I, I don't know that that's what they will do, but I just. There's not been enough of a consensus yet to say for sure. I, I, I think and hope we'll eventually get to to where there are three permanent opponents. So, uh, but to that point, uh, I, I I filled in on uh, on Sports Talk Wednesday morning uh, with uh, with John Wilkerson here in Knoxville and and got a chance to ask Danny White about an update on scheduling. And he he basically said there is no update. There's no timeline. Uh, didn't even have a timeline for when they'll announce the 2024 schedule. Um, but but the long term scheduling fix. You know, there's been more discussions. He said, but basically nothing. Uh, nothing imminent or anything like that. So to your point, Ben, I think it will be probably sometime during the off season, late spring, summer, that kind of thing before there's any sort of solution out there. And and somebody's going to have to compromise on this. There, there's, there are going to be differing opinions because some people are, are going to oppose it because they don't like the three teams out there that, that they're hearing as, as the options for them. And some people are going to say, we don't need uh, uh, uh. exactly. So um, so what happens? I don't know. But if there are three, I mean, my guess and the three that makes sense, because I think it's going to be more about fairness than tradition. Uh, I think fairness is going to take precedent because everybody's going to say that's not right for us to have these three opponents just because of rivalries. That's too hard for us. So I think Tennessee's will end up looking something like Alabama, Vanderbilt. And then that third one becomes trickier because you don't want it to be too easy for Tennessee. So I could see it being either Kentucky or South Carolina. I would lean Kentucky, but in fairness, it could end up being someone more like South Carolina if people think that historically Kentucky's not good enough. So that's that's where I think the, the discussion's going. I don't think it has much to do with rivalries beyond sort of the core ones of which you know Alabama and Tennessee definitely fits that description. But say Tennessee, Florida probably going to fall by the wayside. I I like Ryan's three, uh, Patrick and Ryan made great points on if there will even be three permanent opponents. I, I should have. Noted that as well, but that's why we have Ryan Callahan because he says all the important stuff that I do <laughs> not. Uh, but I, I do like his three uh, of Alabama, Vanderbilt, or as Jason Swain would make me say, Vanderbilt, because they are very proper over there on West End. Uh, Alabama, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky. I, I, I really do like that three if that is what comes to be. Uh, Alabama speaks for itself. Vanderbilt, although not super competitive, obviously, uh, in football, that also speaks for itself because it's an in-state rivalry. And, you know, Patrick, I, I'll die on this hill. I, I think I am somewhat of a lone wolf in this opinion. I think ten Tennessee-Kentucky is a great rivalry, not necessarily football. And I realize that we're talking about football scheduling, but the University of Kentucky hates the University of Tennessee and the University of Tennessee hates the University of Kentucky. The state of Tennessee hates the state of Kentucky. The state of Kentucky hates the state of Tennessee. Kentucky fans hate 
Tennessee fans. Tennessee so fans hate Kentucky fans. There is so much hate, just like you were about to say, Patrick. And to me, that words of my mouth. Well, what were you going to say then? It's just, I was just saying there's so much hate in the world, according to Ben McKee. <laughs> there, There is between Tennessee and Kentucky. Tell well, me I'm wrong. No, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm going to tell right, you because... that, that guess who Tennessee has played more than any other team in its long history of football. Yep. Kentucky. Kentucky. Yep. And uh, uh, same goes for for basketball as as well. And, right. And again, I realize we're talking about football scheduling, but to me, a rivalry game. Yes, you you, you don't want one team controlling the, the series. You don't want it to be lopsided uh, to be one of your better rivalries. But to me, rivalries stem from hate. That that's why we love sports, right? That that that's to me what makes all the greatest rivalries in sports the best rivalries is the hate that stems between the two opponents. And, and to right. me, like, that that is what makes K- Kentucky Tennessee. Even if Tennessee has dominated that series, that's why I like to see that game continue to be played. It'll be a shame if it's not those three because those are the three at one teams point that- it was a trophy game. That, that, yeah, yeah, and it it should be still. It, they should bring that back. That's a whole other podcast as well. But those are the three teams Tennessee has played more than a hundred times. They haven't played anybody else more than like mid sixties. So, um, and, and I think what could turn out to be in Tennessee's favor uh, is that they the the league, according to some some national media reports, they they've discussed using like a a ten year sort of mm-hmm. measurement of of winning. And Kentucky has been pretty good i mean this is probably its best 10-year stretch in history so that's going to take them from maybe where they are you know historically which is near vanderbilt and bump them up a little bit closer to the middle to where it's an easier sell if you're tennessee because you're playing alabama who's at the top vanderbilt is at the bottom and then kentucky is kind of in that middle tier so uh if it's not those three it'll be disappointment and i think if it's not going to nine games it'll be disappointment because it's going to be a lot of games like uh, a lot of hatred games as, as we'll we'll use ben's term that will fall by the wayside. They won't be now. They they may not happen as infrequently as you know. I think some people assume that if they're not playing this game every year, that they're like never going to play. I mean, they're still going to play, but you know, um, yeah, it, it would be a disappointment if the league doesn't go to nine. But I think that's still an if situation. They've you know they haven't didn't seem like they wanted to last off season, and, and it'll get revisited again this off season as well. And I, I think to Ben's point, the SEC should start with this because rivalries, again, are, I don't think they're going to be the the deciding factor in how these opponents are chosen. But I think it they should, should be. But, but in preserving the ones that really matter, they should start with this. Every team in the league gets to name one opponent that has to be on their schedule. And if you did that, all three of those games would be on somebody's ballot. Kentucky, I think, would pick Tennessee. Vanderbilt would pick Tennessee. And Tennessee would pick Alabama. So to me, if you get to if each school got to preserve one rivalry, those three would be preserved because to your point, they have the most history. They've played more than a hundred times. They've played Kentucky more than anybody else. They General Nealon was hired in part to beat Vanderbilt. I mean, that that series has history. So all three of those games are important to one school or the other. That would preserve Texas and Texas AM. That would preserve Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Auburn, et cetera. So to me, start with that. Let each school name the one game that they have to have on their schedule. And go from there, and that's that would that would to me give you those three games that we mentioned for Tennessee. Uh, Patrick Middle Tennessee Vol thirty four wants to know 
why you think that Tennessee is not throwing to the running backs more with a screen or a check down. I do think Joe's done a good job of hitting his check downs when he's needed to and, and when they've been there. I, I think the better part to your question, Middle Tennessee Vol, is with the screens to the running backs. Uh, his thought is that it seems to be open quite a bit and makes a great point. Linebackers typically cannot run with Dylan Sampson or Jalen Wright. Well, the shovel pass needs to be a permanent staple uh, in in the uh, playbook. With as much as they're using, it already is, I think. (laughs) Right. They actually ran through variations of it uh, against South Carolina. They had just the regular one, and then they had one where they brought Squirrel in motion. It kind of went for a little bit the first time. Um, And then it did. Joe almost threw it to defensive tackle uh, because those guys got upfield too fast. Um, they did throw a screen to McCallan Castles, and he might have scored on that play if he didn't slip. Uh, the, the reaction of Cooper May says it all because he turns around and sees Castles on the ground and puts his hands on his helmet like, oh, gosh, what just happened? Um, I, I don't know that there's an issue with the running back's involvement in the pass game because between them, they've already caught more passes than they did all last season. We're five games in. So um, did, he, did he mention Jalen Wright in particular, right? I mean, Jalen Wright caught two passes last season. He's got I'm, – I'm doing this live, so give me a second – He's well, got, he said that he's got he, ten he would, catches this season, and and you know between the the three running backs, I think they have twenty catches. I don't think they got to twenty last season. So, um, do they should they throw it more to the running backs? Maybe uh, you know those guys are really good. You want the ball in their hands a lot. Um, the, the checkdowns, I don't know. It, I, I'd have to go see a breakdown of how often those guys are in pass protection versus not. Um, but the. The, the version of screens in this offense, because it's not a maybe a traditional offense, is the shuffle pass. I mean, that's basically a screen pass for this offense. And then, uh, you know, we saw it early, in a couple of earlier games where they would motion the running backs out wide, and that's just sort of a, a different way to get a numbers advantage out there. So I think you're going to continue to see that. Are they going to do it six, seven times a game? Probably not, because then it gets predictable. They could have stuff off of it. Um, in fact, they did have something off of it against South Carolina where they motioned Samson into the slot, and he kind of dummy like he was going to catch a pass. And I think, I think Joe even might have, pumped it a little bit and then they hit castles behind it on a slant so that's part of the offense and um i I don't know that it should be more or less but it's definitely been part of the offense and i would imagine it's going to continue to be part of the offense as as they kind of tweak things with brew being out we'll go back to patrick to answer a question about his braves as they are set to begin the playoffs on saturday bleed orange 1899 wants to know if you patrick are concerned about the pitching rotation at all Max Freed and Charlie Morton going on the injured list was not great timing, but as long as Freed is set for game two, we may be okay there. Uh, does, does, do you guys think Bleed Orange wants my honest answer or my real answer? Or my honest answer or my fake answer? <laughs> Probably your honest answer. Probably, uh, well, yeah. the, the fake answer is it doesn't matter because we're just gonna we're gonna hit 10 home runs a game wow. on the Phillies and dominate. I think that factors into the real answer. <laughs> Am I concerned about the rotation at all? Heck yes, I'm concerned about the rotation. I'm concerned about it's the Braves in the playoffs. What is there not to be concerned about? Oh, shut up. You're so uh, annoying with that comment. You won the World Series two years ago. Yep. And, yeah. and you were in the NLCS like a year or two prior. Like the Braves have been perfect. Well, that was that was the, the bubble Series. NLCS. It doesn't count. No, um, shut up. <laughs> what? If the Dodgers World Series doesn't count, watch it the Braves. If the Braves had won, would it have counted if the Braves won the World Series that year? A hundred percent. I'd say the Lakers counted too. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, I mean, I I, I think losing Morton hurts because he's, I mean, he's the the old old vet, the workhorse, the the guy that's, I mean, he pitched in the World Series with a broken leg. I mean, 
just for that, that guy's always got my my support and, and my confidence. So um, I, I'm I'm more confident in the rotation than I am in the bullpen, obviously, for very obvious reasons, except for uh, Iglesias. I feel pretty good when he's out there in the ninth, but uh, getting there is sometimes the issue uh, with that team. So, yeah, I'm 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 hoping that they have this kind of like, you know, they, they seem like a team on a mission all season. Hopefully that continues in the playoffs and hopefully they don't kind of get in the playoffs and get stage fried and be like, oh, gosh, you know, they just lost the Phillies last season. So hopefully those memories don't come back. But the memories from from two years ago has been pointed out. There's still a lot of guys on this team from that that squad. Hopefully that the that's the mentality that, that comes out starting uh, Saturday night. Side note, Braves-Phillies is usually a rivalry that as an outside observer just doesn't really do a lot for me. But I actually think that might be the most intriguing of the matchups in this round. Uh, I, I think the Phillies are pretty dangerous. And uh, I know the Braves. We know you're rooting against the Braves, Ryan. And you are no, too, man. No. We know. I, we know. I'm, Everybody knows. I'm not a hater. I'm against the Braves. I'm not a hater. Uh, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy going to Braves games. Enjoy, enjoy the battery. Uh, you, you guys had your World Series, so you don't need another one. But, you know. Not rooting I, against I'm, you. I'm rooting for the Braves. I have a friend on, on the Braves. I want him to get his second championship ring, which brings me to my question. How do you feel when Kyle Wright is pitching? Awesome. Uh, he he might get a start. I don't know. Bryce Elder's been a little wishy-washy lately, and um, he 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 could be uh, – he, he's going to have to play a role in this series for sure. So hopefully we get uh, – if you could send – if you could talk to him and give him some encouragement uh, on behalf of Braves fans, we would all appreciate it. I did. Uh, I did text him. His uh, his birthday was on Monday, and I texted him happy birthday. Told him to go get himself a, another ring, and he said thanks, brother. So I've I've, I've already said it is. So so when the Braves what, what Ben win is the doing, Series, Ben is what Ben is doing right here is Ron Burgundy. I don't know how to put this. I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> no, that, that that is my apartment smells of rich mahogany. He, he's making he, West he proud not. with that one. If. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I wish I could have some of Kyle's signing bonus that he got when he was drafted fourth overall. But I, uh, other than that, no, you're the one that brought it up, telling me that I'm rooting against them. I'm not rooting against them. I want Kyle to, to get a, a second ring. And for those who do not know, Kyle and I played high school baseball together, and his dad was my high school baseball coach. So that well, Ben, uh, if, I know Kyle. If they win the World Series, I'll get you a shirt. How does that sound? I get Kyle to get me a shirt because I'm <laughs> big time. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ryan, th- this is the perfect Ryan Callahan question. Uh, Vol Legacy nineteen wants to know whether the chicken or the egg came first. Wait, why is this a perfect Ryan? Yeah, yeah. never mind. It is. It's a perfect Ryan Callahan question. Go ahead, Ryan. The floor is yours. Uh, I don't know. I I really don't know why this is a perfect question for me. But uh, sure, let's let's go. Let's go with the egg. <laughs> no, show your work. Well, the chicken came from the egg, and you know, no one knows that it's an endless loop. No one knows where it started. So, at some point, it started with an egg. But where did that egg that started it come from? Who, who's on first? You know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> who's on first is one of my all-time favorite uh, bits. We'll, we'll go back to Patrick because uh, James underscore Govals is calling out Patrick. Uh, Patrick, why are you such a Joe Milton Homer? I I I can't answer this question without more context. I don't know why I've been pegged into a a, a Joe Peg. Milton Homer. Uh, that, that was for you, Ben. Um, I, I guess it's just because I'm such a Tennessee Homer. Anyway, I mean, that, if I'm that, a Tennessee Homer, doesn't that include all of Tennessee's players? 
That that is a, a good point. We we do I, have a question coming up later about refs. That that is the Patrick <laughs> Brown question. Um, but uh, yeah, you're. I don't think you're a Joe Milton homer. You you, you know football. I, I think call it like you see it. I I think the he might James might be having some fun with this. Uh, I that's what I assume because it's the internet and you're allowed to have fun on the internet. But um, I, it's probably just from when after the Florida game, everybody wanted to fire Joe into the sun. And I'm like, I don't think he was the issue in that game. Uh, I think he was better against UTSA. I didn't think he played all that great against South Carolina, to be honest. I think he did some things better. He had the two interceptions. Uh, I think he was more effective over the middle of the field. Uh, I thought his accuracy was really good on a few slants that they hit. Um, and, uh, but you know, those interceptions were, you know, if you're going to be, I, I think people have just got to sort of tamp down their expectations. This guy's not going to be Hendon Hooker. He's just not. He's not the same quarterback. Um, I do think there is some disappointment that to be is to be had in terms of why they aren't hitting more down the field, um, and, and that's something that Josh Heupel has been harping on over the last few weeks, and that they've got to be they've got to hit on more of those downfield shots, um, and you know some of that in the first however many games that they haven't been hitting them on have been. You know, Joe's missed some throws. They've dropped some some passes, obviously. Uh, the, the Ramel Keaton one comes to mind against Virginia. Um, and then they've had shot plays dialed up, or they've had guys open, and the, there's a breakdown in pass protection. So the pass protection was a lot better against South Carolina. If that is how it's going to be forward, then it, the onus is going to fall more on Joe to make the play and and um, the receivers to to make the plays like, you know, like Squirrel White did. Um, so uh, I, I think he is... You kind of know what you're going to get from at this point. You're probably going to get around 20 completions for on 30 something attempts and in the 200 yard range. That's, you know, around 250. I think he's averaging around 230 right now. So, um, it's just a different offense. It's a different team, different offense. They've had to develop a new, a new identity. I still think there's a game where they're going to hit on some of those deep shots. I don't know which one it's going to be. Um, it would be great if it was one of these big ones for them so that, you know, that it's just easier to play offense when you're hitting the home run. So, uh, those things are going to continue to be there, uh, and and Highpool has continued to to press that they need to make uh, the most of those opportunities more than they have up to this point. So, uh, yeah, Ryan North Georgia Vol sixty five seventy one wants to know Cooper Mays obviously made a big difference in the offense. What happens next year if he moves to the NFL? And right now, I would lean toward that being the most likely outcome. I, I don't think he uh, is likely to be back. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, if the question specifically about the center position, I think there is at least one internal option. Uh, I think Bison Lang, even though he's not in the in the picture right now, not not challenging for that job, I think they uh, are optimistic that he might be the, uh, the the center of the future, whether that's next year or the year after or whatever. Uh, I think they they think he's on on the right track and, and has a, has a chance to, to lock down that position at some point. Um, so we'll, we'll see if he can come along, but I, you know, they, they might be looking at any and every position on the offensive line in the transfer portal this off season. That's going to be, I think hands down their biggest need in the transfer portal. Um, you might see them take three or four starters out of the transfer portal on the offensive line. Uh, we'll, we'll see. It's going to depend on whether John Campbell decides to return, whether Cooper Mays decides to return, but a couple of those guys are out of eligibility. I think Javante Spragans will probably leave. That um, they've got some some decisions to make. But that's going to be a group that looks a lot different next year. And I just don't think there are a ton of internal options who have shown they can they can be starters for this team. So I think 
you know, they're, they're certainly hoping that Andre Carrick can continue to, to, to look like a starter for them. And if he can, that's, you know, maybe one spot you've got taken care of. Maybe Vice and Lang can be the second, but the rest might come out of the transfer portal. We'll, we'll see. Uh, North George of all also asked about the three game stretch in October. We talked about that in the first segment. Uh, how bad will the rest be in Tuscaloosa, Patrick Brown? And I'll be quite honest. I don't know how to say this person's username. It says dog ass nap. That, that, I mean, that that's, that's what I got out of it. Am, am I pronouncing that wrong? Am I an idiot? Well, uh, I am an idiot, but I, am I showing even more that I'm an idiot? <laughs> No, uh, it looks right to me. Um, I, I the refs are going to be bad. Well, it depends if if Alabama loses this week uh, against Texas A and M, uh, then maybe they won't be as bad because you know they need. If Alabama still has one loss in that game, you know the league's going to need to keep the tide in the playoff hunt. I mean, we all know this, right? I mean, and you know they they the league might be mad that Tennessee beat Alabama last season with what was it seventeen penalties at the at the tide had so um you, you, i mean you it, it, hopefully they're not as bad as they were in gainesville let's just let's start there uh ryan's laughing they were bad they kicked the football and didn't call holding and what was the other snafu that they, they had there, there, was there, one there there was a lot that went wrong that game for sure ryan uh dog ass snap also wants to know <laughs> uh, about brew we, we did talk about brew in the first segment but a more pointed question uh, which will Tennessee miss more, or what is more important to the offense, his pass catching ability, his blocking, or his leadership? So it's a, it's a really good question. Uh, I mean, obviously the answer re- realistically is all of the above, but I think the most important to keeping things on the track is is probably pass catching ability because I think they 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 needed Brew McCoy at times to make plays, and we touched on earlier how they how they needed guys to to step forward, and uh, and and they need Ramel Keaton and Squirrel White to to be good. On top of that, they just they need reliable playmakers, especially down the field, uh, to to keep this offense moving. So they'll they'll miss the blocking, no question. He's contributed to a, a couple long plays this year uh, with downfield blocks. He's a he's he's very physical and and obviously has a a size advantage on most most corners he goes against. Um, it, pretty much every corner he goes against. So that that's something you're going to miss out there, and you can't replace that. But um, I I think though getting a different skill set out there, you might be able to make up for for his loss just in some different ways. You know, you're going to have a different look if it's a Dante Thornton because you're going to have another speed guy out there. Uh, you're going to have the height, not the physicality, and you're going to have more speed. So I think they can offset it, but it's just going to be different. There's no replacing Brew McCoy because to the to the question's point, he does so many things for you. It's going to be tough to replace his skill, his leadership. But that's just one of those things that's. Um, you know, got to be absorbed by other people. Uh, I think realistically, the most important thing is finding somebody that can catch the ball and continue to make plays down the field. Absolutely. And we've got two more questions we need to answer in five minutes and 20 seconds. So on my Reese Davis, let's pick up the pace uh, a, a little bit. And this is another Brew McCoy question, Patrick. Granger Mater 23, what would you do as offensive coordinator against Texas A&M with emphasis on how to replace Brew McCoy? I'd run the dang ball. That's what I do. That's what you do best right now, right? I mean, uh, if your defensive line is the best position unit on the team, then the running backs are either right there or they might be the best running. You know, they they might be the best um, unit on the team. So I'd get those guys the football as much as possible. You're going to have to throw. Um, you know, this is a Texas A&M defense. They they gave up 48 to Miami. I know there was. I think there was a special team score in there, and. Um, you know, but this is a defense that, you know, their run defense was terrible last season. Now, a lot of those, 
young defensive linemen that were studs coming out of high school now are playing more like studs in the SEC. So, but you just got to keep doing what you're doing best right now. Let's run the ball. I thought Tennessee's offensive line got a little bit of its edge back. You saw you saw some more animation from the likes of John Campbell and Javante Spragans, and you know they were they were putting guys on the ground in that game. So uh, against South Carolina, so if they have that edge back, then. Uh, you still might be able to run the ball, and, and certainly they. I think the staff challenged those guys to be the more physical team after what happened in Columbia last season. So uh, I would imagine that you know it's going to be a same situation, a similar situation going into the A and M because you know the coaches are going to say all this week, just you know this defense line is so good. Everybody talks about them. They got this many sacks, tackles for loss, and all that. You got to step up. And um, if Tennessee is able to play with the same edge and attitude on the offensive line, then just run the ball. Give it to your best. Give it to your three-headed monster back there, and and see what you can do on the ground. Ryan, is it better for Tennessee if Texas A if Texas A&M or Alabama wins this weekend? Um I would I would maybe uh lean a little bit toward Texas A&M winning and it's it's hard to say because I I could see that one going either way, but I I think I think you want Texas A&M uh coming in feeling good about itself as opposed to fighting for its season. Um, you're more likely to get a letdown from Texas A&M maybe coming off a big win, in my opinion, as opposed to coming off a loss. I don't, I don't think they'll come in beaten down. I think they'd more likely come in sort of fighting for their, for their season. If they, if they lost to Alabama, um, I don't, you know, two weeks later, um, uh, you know, does a loss hurt Alabama or, or change, change their approach? It, it could send them into chaos. You know, that's, that's the, the other possibility that, you know, Alabama has not been in this position to have two losses in early October. I think a second loss there could just put everything on the table. You know, the, at that point, you don't know who the quarterback is. You don't know what the offensive game plan is. You know, they're they're running not much more than a single wing offense last week, throwing it twelve times. So uh, that it could really could really cause some problems for them if they were to lose another game before Tennessee. So I I think if you're Tennessee, you'd rather have Texas A&M win this week. But that that's just my read. Uh, if the options are Alabama losing or anybody else losing, uh, whoever Alabama is playing losing, the option, the answer is always Alabama losing for entertainment value, first and foremost. <laughs> now, what do you actually think as this is your what job? What do I and... think is going to happen? I think Texas yes. A&M is going to beat them. I don't think Alabama is that good. Uh, I think they have serious questions on offense. Um, and, you know, they, they've not been very good on the road for the last couple of Do you think seasons. Ole Miss is good? Um, again, you play these games with matters where you play these games. I think if Alabama played in Oxford, they lose LSU went over to Oxford neutral site. Who wins between Ole Miss and Alabama? Um, I think Ole Miss. Okay. Uh, this weekend, yes or no, Patrick does. Well, I already know Patrick doesn't think Kentucky's beating Georgia. So I'll ask Ryan, Ryan does Kentucky. I don't think Kentucky's even going to cover. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with Patrick on this one. I think Georgia wins, and, and my guess is it'll be a little more comfortable than people are expecting. I'm, I'm seeing people pick Kentucky to cover, and I just I don't get it. I mean, I, like Patrick, I'm a little more skeptical of Kentucky and just how good they are. They they're they're a good team. They're better than probably Wes Rucker thought they were going to be this season. But uh, I do think this is uh, a, a Georgia team that's going to bounce back and be just fine. I mean, they they. They had their one scare last week, and they'll probably they're, Kentucky's probably picking the wrong time to play them coming off that game at Auburn last week. Yeah, Kentucky they're going on the they're going on the road, and they haven't gone on the road yet. Sorry, Kentucky Vanderbilt. Will, Kentucky will cover in Athens. Uh, Ooh, I'm, okay. I'm not convinced on, on this Georgia football team. There, there's more evidence of Kentucky being good than there is Georgia being good. So we'll, if we'll they see just how throw it plays the ball out. To Brock Bowers, they'll be fine. Bowers is a monster. 
Absolutely. It'll be fascinating to watch out. Great Saturday of football coming up, and we will have plenty of coverage of Tennessee football coming up as we roll into Texas A&M week on Monday morning. This has been another edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast for Ben McKee, Ryan Callahan, and Patrick Brown. We'll talk to you on Monday. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker, 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee, 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan, 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown, 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247, where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.